This is the AuthorBiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 11. Welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, remember that dream you had when you first decided you wanted to be an author? The dream of just focusing on your writing and letting everything else just take care of itself magically? Is it actually possible? Well, my guest today, Jay Carson Black, claims to do just that. I contacted her a few months ago to ask a question about Amazon delivery fees. You know, those fees that they charge, a per megabyte charge to deliver your books to readers. I I just had a specific question about that, and I asked her because she sells a lot of books on the Amazon platform. And she said to me, well, you know, I don't really pay any attention to that stuff. Um, You know, I just like to write. Really? Is that actually possible in today's world? Can you be successful as an author without paying attention to all this business stuff? Well, as you'll hear in this interview, it is possible if you have really good instincts, build the right team, and consistently point them in the right direction. While claiming little to no knowledge of the business side of being an author, Jay Carson Black has managed to steer her agent to a deal with Amazon's Thomas & Mercer imprint when she was dropped by her traditional publisher. She was clever enough to keep self-publishing some of her own work And all of those books have beautiful, professional, and really fabulous-looking covers. She also managed to get herself involved in what may have been the most successful box set of all time, The Deadly Dozen, which landed her once again on the New York Times and USA Today bestseller list. As you'll hear in this interview, she may claim not to understand the business stuff, but she pays a great deal of attention to anything that might impact her career as an author. She understands that if she wants to be successful, it's all up to her. It is really like being your own shopkeeper. You know, it's all up to you. And if you want to make a living, I feel much safer doing this than I would working for someone else because they could always go under and they could fire you or, but no one's going to fire me. I'd like to give a quick shout-out to author Chris Deitzel, and that's D-I-E-T-Z-E-L, if you'd like to look him up on Amazon. Chris left an extremely positive review on iTunes where he mentioned paying $100 to attend a webinar on publishing tactics and then listening to the AuthorBiz podcast, which is, of course, free. Chris said he's learned more from the guests on this podcast than he did from the webinar. He was kind enough to give the show a five-star rating. Chris, I can't thank you enough for leaving the review. Those are a huge help in helping others to find the show and, of course, building our audience. If you would like to leave a review but aren't sure how, I've written a short post on how to do it at theauthorbiz.com slash review. Jay Carson Black is a multi-time New York Times and USA Today best-selling author and the first person I've ever interviewed with a master's degree in operatic voice. On September 9th, she's releasing Hard Return, the follow-up to her Amazon number one best-selling book, The Shop, which featured Cyril Landry. 
As prep for these interviews, I always check out my guests' websites, and Jay Carson Black has just gone through a major redesign of hers, so I'd encourage you to check out the new site at jcarsonblack.com. Of course, we'll have links to everything mentioned in this session in the show notes, which can be found at theauthorbiz.com slash jcb. Now let's kick off the interview with Jay Carson Black, whose real name is Maggie, by the way, giving us her overview of Hard Return. Well, Hard Return is a continuation of a, of a book that I um, wrote. I didn't know I was going to do this, but it, it's a continuation of um, a book called The Shop that I wrote back in 2009. And in it, I was introduced on the, the second page to this, uh, this nameless, faceless assassin who was going into a house in Aspen to do, um, basically to, to kill some people. I thought, okay, well, I have to just pick his name. So I picked, uh, picked a name for him, and, and he started to walk in through the door. And he, he, was, he was in contact with um, another person who, who was coming in the other way. And he, said, and, and he asked him a question, and the guy said, there's a couple um, in, a, in a bedroom. And he said, he said, there's a couple, and they're laying down. And Cyril Landry said, lying down. Uh, he corrected his grammar. And from that moment, he kind of took over a large part of the book. I, had a, I have a protagonist in the book named Jolie Burke, um, who is a, um, a sheriff's detective. And she's great. And I, I love her. In fact, I, I've kept her and she will be in this book as well. But uh, Cyril Landry just started to get more and more real estate as he went along in that book because I had so much fun writing him. He is the kind of guy that makes, you know, just makes it easy for me to write. He just writes himself. And so this book follows Cyril Landry after the shop in which he is believed to be dead by everybody who's after him. Uh, He's a former Navy SEAL. And he is also a father and a husband, and he loves his wife and his daughter. Of course, it's not very easy when, when you're an operative or, or when you're a soldier. It's, it's a very difficult life for everybody, and that fascinated me uh, a lot about how, um, you know, the spouses of, of um, soldiers and, and uh, Navy SEALs and uh, operatives even um, – you know the, the the type of thing that uh, they you know how they deal with that they're off on their own a lot they have their own lives and then then you know the guy comes back or the woman comes back you know from deployments and stuff and it's it it just um, fascinated me I, I didn't make it a theme or anything but it just seemed to to be something that stuck with me and so Cyril Landry is. Uh, He's a very, 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 very smart man and a good operative. Um, but he also, I think, can, can be a bit of a magical thinker. And it's been three years since, uh, since the shop, since he, he was uh, um, missing and presumed dead. And he's been dead all this time. But he magically thinks, I believe, that um, eventually he, he will be able to get back to his wife and daughter. But... Uh, it's it's difficult because there's probably still people um, who would be looking for him if they knew he were, he were alive. So what he does is he he grew up on the on the racetrack, 
at Santa Anita with his uh, in different racetracks at the different meets. And so he's really, he loves racehorses and he, he's very good with horses. So he ends up on this horse farm um, working for peanuts because that's basically what happens. And he just shows up one day and it's, and it's, it's, it's a very easy um, thing if you're a good horseman to get a job and um, got, worked for this, this woman He's far enough away that no one can really trace him, but he drives up five days a week to watch his high school-aged daughter walk uh, to her car um, at the high school, you know, to drive home from school or drive wherever she is gonna, going to go. You know, five days a week he goes and just watches his daughter, and that's the only thing that he can really do, and she doesn't know he's alive. And he doesn't like it because she's got a boyfriend, and they're making out by the car, and, and it just it makes his blood boil. But he, there's nothing he can do about it. He loves her very much, and, and he doesn't, of course, he doesn't like the boy, Luke, at all, because he's touching his daughter. Um, but one day, um, someone comes in and starts shooting up the parking lot of the school. Well, Landry is... Landry has a van. Landry is always prepared. He always has his... Uh, sniper rifle, Betsy, and so he's able to line it, line up, and uh, take the shot. And he had to, he has to make a decision very quickly. Um, he can either shoot the man in the head, or he can he 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 can shoot him in the side. The guy's wearing body armor, but he can. But there are a couple of places he can do that. If he hits the guy, and the guy's shooting right. Um, he's, he's starting to get toward um, Landry's daughter and Luke. So he he makes the split-second decision that it's his daughter. He needs to shoot the man in the head. And so he shoots the man in the head instead of uh, in, the, in the body in which the man would go down, um, you know, like 50 times out of 51 times. He would just, you know, f- go down. He would, he would be useless. But he just wants to make sure. And so he, he, he kills him. Um, but not in time um, to save Luke's life, who was pushing his daughter under the car to save her. So uh, he, he already feels, you know, horrible because he wonders if they, if if this is something that happened because of him, or if it's just a, you know a school shooting, or he doesn't know. And so he tries to find out. So that's that's the beginning of the story, and and we go from there. It's and uh, it's it's an unusual start to a book because it, you're just kind of easing into it, and then all of a sudden there's a school shooting, and it's it's jarring. Yes, to yeah. to the reader, it was jarring to me when I wrote it. I I didn't I wasn't I I didn't really know what I was going you know what was going to happen, and then I, suddenly I realized that 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 was that was what was going to happen. I wasn't, I, I did have an idea because I, I was deeply uh, um, influenced and, and, and bothered by the shooting at Newton, Newtown. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it kind of, you know, was boiling up in me and I thought, well, you know, you maybe not want to do this, but I felt, I don't know, I felt some kind of, um, I was compelled, I think, to, to, to write this. And, and, uh, which, you know, I, I don't know if that's that's good or bad, but it it is what it is, and and of course, Landry was there to save the day, at least for for most of the kids. And then he needs to figure out why it happened, because there's a chance that uh, it happened to smoke him out because someone knew that he was alive. Yes, yes, 
And so he's he's got to to figure that out. And in the meantime, he's he's still you know hoping that he can connect with his wife and daughter. But you know, he's, <laughs> I see what you mean difficult. by magical thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think he's. I, I um I, I'm coming to the conclusion that um and I and I after I wrote him in the shop. And and I started and I, I remade his acquaintance in this book. I'm beginning to think that he's he's very 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 high functioning Aspergers. I think he has he has a lot of those traits. Um, you know, he can be very literal minded. He you know corrects people's grammar. He sees things in um and then he's he's a, I mean he's a fantastic oper- operator and operative uh, he's he's got all the skills for that and he he knows how to isolate uh, his mind for some you know for the thing that he has to do but he um, I, I went and looked at Asperger's traits and lo and behold he had a whole bunch of them you know so he's a mild Asperger's but he he does um, have um, a literal way of thinking, and I think that affects um, the way he thinks about how he might um, somehow be back to being the the father of a teenage daughter and and the husband of of a wife he's been married to for you know you know eighteen nineteen years. How big a part did fan reaction to Cyril Landry in the shop have to play with you bringing him back in hard return? Hmm. Oh, well, people seem to like him. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was it was it was that big a deal. Uh, it was, I think it was mostly me <laughs> wanting to <laughs> to bring him back uh, because I just loved writing him. There were a lot of people who did like him and and would write and say, "Oh, yes, I really you'd like him." Um, but I think that that in this book. I, 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 I didn't have that many – I wasn't on Facebook then, and I didn't have that many people that I interacted with. Some people would write in, but it was you – know, it's rare for people to write into just a website, or at least it was um, at the time. And so when I, was, when I decided that I wanted to, to write Cyril Landry, I, I, said, I, I decided, okay, I want a two-book deal, because you know, I was coming to the end of my three-book deal with, with Thomas, Thomas and Mercer. And, and one would be um, a Tess McRae book. Uh, like the the Survivors Club, which I had just written, and the uh, the other was that uh, was a, was the Cyril Landry story, and I I actually wrote a proposal for the book, as I would have for you know a book that if I would would try to sell to the big five um, in New York, uh, so I wrote a, a, a double space proposal for the book. <laughs> And I ha- and I had it sub- submitted through my agent Deborah Schneider of Schneid- of Gelfman Schneider, and so that I did. It, I just wanted to make it as official as possible, and so they they said yes. They wanted the book. It's it said a Tess McRae book for the second one, but they seemed to be perfectly happy for me to write another Landry book. So it's it's going to be two Landry books, and and then uh, I'll, we'll see what happens after that. Now, your publishing history is interesting. We'll, we'll put it that way. You and I talked <laughs> maybe seven or eight months ago on a different program, and you gave a detailed history of your publishing – well, a, a detailed explanation of your publishing history, which eventually wound up with you having written the book The Shop, which you felt like was one of the best things you'd ever written, if not the best thing you'd ever written, and fully expecting – to land a big contract for it, and it didn't happen. 
So you wound up self-publishing, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, but you wound up uh, publishing it yourself on Amazon uh, with the... with the full support of, of your agent who had tried diligently to, to sell the book, and it g- kind of got off to a slow start and then just picked up steam and became more and more and more popular and then eventually wound up being picked up by Thomas and Mercer. Yes. Well, actually, when she agreed that it was time to put it up on Amazon, I was just starting to hit. It was 2011. And people were really catching on about ebooks, mm-hmm. and so the dark, um, darkness on the edge of town. One of my Laura Cardinal books was doing f- fairly well. It was going up the ranks, and when I put the shop up, it was right before the end of April, I believe, about two weeks before the end of April. By May first, it hit, and it hit really big. And it just went up to, I think it was 17 or 18 on Amazon, and it just stayed there. And the money started pouring in, (laughs) which was amazing to me. And the other book, and then the other books all took their turns, but it just, it really hit. And I still don't know why to this day that it, it hit so quickly. So it was only about two or three weeks after she suggested, after she said, yes, you might as well just put it up on Amazon. And I had not had that much success. I'd had a little bit of success with Darkness on the Edge of Town. It went up for a few days uh, earlier in that year. And then things just kind of took over, and it was it was really easy. 2011 was a was a good time to be an indie writer because people were buying Kindles like crazy and buying up books. Heaven only knows how many of them even read those books. They probably grabbed up as many as they could, and they, and they still have them on their Kindles, and or or they haven't read them. But many people did read the book, and and a lot of them liked it. And it opened really well too. I mean, the the, the opening of the book was something that really caught you. I was one of those people that bought it. I I saw something that caught my eye, and I bought it, and then it just sat on my Kindle for a while, and I eventually turned to it, and from like the third page on, I was hooked. Oh, wonderful. Which is good when you're writing thrillers, right? I think so. <laughs> and I, as, as I say, I, I fell in love with him when he corrected uh, the one guy's grammar. And so every chance I had, I, I, I would put him in and he always took over. And that was the wonderful thing about him is that he just takes over and I trust him. I like to... I like to write him because it's almost like we're talking to each other. And he says, well, let's do this. Oh, okay. All right, fine. And it seems to work out very well. Now, I I think it's interesting. There are a number of indie writers who don't feel like they have a need to have an agent. And in, in your case, you had an agent. She was trying to sell this book. Uh, it didn't work out. But... It eventually did because you continued the relationship with her and through her efforts and and your own and and networking, you wound up uh, with the three-book deal at Thomas & Mercer. Yes. She is a wonderful person and a wonderful agent and the agent of my dreams. She was loyal to me. I think it was 
I don't know if it was two years. We really thought this book would sell very early on, but things were changing rapidly at that time. It started in 2009. She was there every step of the way, very, very loyal, good person, believed in this book. She loves the book. And so, of course, I I kept her. She didn't, of course, get the indie book money, but she stuck with me. And not only did she do the deal with Thomas and Mercer and then a second deal with Thomas and Mercer, but, but she also handled a deal for an option for the Laura Cardinal series, which I was very glad to have her for that. Yes. So that, that, was, th- that was three books um, with Winkler Films, Sony and Winkler Films, and they optioned it for a year. And I was all excited. <laughs> because, of course. But I also knew that they rarely get, uh, they, they rarely do um, get to the television. And so, unfortunately, um, after they did not renew the option, but it was found money. It was uh, bragging rights for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was very, very exciting to think about. So she's been. She has done a lot of things. She's she's helped a lot with. Um, she has partnership with um, ICM. So if if people are interested in any of these books for films, uh, they can do that. She has partnerships with Curtis Brown um, for the foreign rights. So so she's she's been just wonderful and a wonderful supporter. And I finally got to meet her in New York when I went to Thriller Fest this summer. Oh, you had not met her face-to-face. Right. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay. I think most authors rarely do if they don't live in New York uh-huh. because they're all there. <laughs> so it was wonderful meeting her, and um, just, it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a very good agency, a prestigious agency, and, but it just goes to show that that you know goodness comes from the top and and everybody there is just wonderful they're just fantastic people so you are what we would call a hybrid author now yes so you you have a publishing deal with thomas and mercer and you you have your own small publishing company that you publish the the laurel laura cardinal series and and some other things through yes i've been writing novellas of late uh, a couple of laura cardinal novellas now, it's, it's interesting. I pinged you maybe a couple months ago about a business question uh, for authors, and you begged off saying, I don't really know anything about this business stuff. And you know, Glenn handles all that. Glenn is your husband, who, who also runs uh, the small publishing company that, uh, that you guys have. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I got kind of a kick out of that, because everything that you do is well done. It's professional. And the idea that you sort of don't really understand business kind of made me smile. It, it appears to me, and even when we were prepping for this interview, you said, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really do any of that business stuff. Yet, you have surrounded yourself with a team of people that take care of the things that need to be taken care of in a professional manner, and you get to do what you do best, which is write books. Yes, I think that's the that's the key for me is that I am lucky enough to have gotten with Thomas and Mercer and I I heard about them early on 
And as a follower of Joe Conrath and Barry Eisler, um, who were um, touting how wonderful indie publishing is, when they signed with Thomas and Mercer, I I have a, a wonderful agent. So I called her up and I said, Deborah, let's see if I can get with Thomas and Mercer. So I, I will notice things. I will notice trends. I will notice um, things that I think would, would be great um, for my books and for me. And I think it's good to diversify. I think it's good to have uh, – Thomas and Mercer gives me a completely different world to, to write in. And then I can, I can write I, – I kept my Laura Cardinal books for myself – so I can continue to write her, and she's very popular with a lot of readers. So I can I can write uh, a Laura Cardinal, mostly novellas now because I'm so busy writing the long books uh, for Thomas and Mercer. But it gives me some freedom to to do things that I want to do, and I also have a ton of books that I've had I've written over the years. Uh, many of them that I was unsuccessful in, in selling to the New York publishers and, and some of them that I got my rights back to. And there are so many ways to go. For in, There are some very, very smart, savvy indie publishers who know exactly what they're doing. There are people who are, 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 are having their books interpreted for foreign rights and they're, mm-hmm. they're doing really well there. They're... People are ganging together, doing box sets as advertisement. They, they pretty much give away um, a, their, one of their books and hoping that, that people will read the other books in the series, and that often happens. And there are just so many different ways for, for people to be their own little shopkeeper. So let's get back to the idea of of you being surrounded by a team of people so that you can diversify and and do the writing that you do. But you've got a a support team around you, whether you want to call them that or not. You you, you have your agent, uh, your husband. You have I've, I've seen some of the recent books that you've done uh, and self published. They have beautiful covers. Uh, everything that you do is is really well done. And you mentioned these box sets. You just happened to find your way into <laughs> maybe the best of the box sets over the last over the course of the last year or so, maybe the best ever, the Deadly Dozen. Yes, yes. It's true. I keep saying it's luck, but I think you make your own luck. <laughs> I think you do make your own luck. I really do. You have to be paying attention at least a little bit for all these good things to keep happening. Yes, and that was a fantastic situation, and I'm still with the group, and we're doing something else now. But Deadly Dozen really did did well and landed um, everyone on the New York Times and USA Today bestseller lists. Uh, I had actually gotten to the New York Times and USA Today bestseller list before that with um, the Laura Cardinal novels, mm-hmm. and that's another thing you can take your you can take your character your, the, your main character um, your series and you can you can box them in you can put them in a box set too all three of the books there are so many it, it's it is really like being your own shopkeeper you know it, it's all up to you and if you want to make a living, I feel much safer doing this than I would working for someone else because they could always go under and they could fire you, or, but no one's going to fire me. 
Now, I'm are you are you also selling your books, the ones that that aren't Thomas and Mercer? Are those being sold through other channels as well, like iTunes and uh, Nook and and others? Yes, okay. I I am. There's a there's an argument about whether or not it's a good idea to uh, just stick with Amazon because they do offer some things for people to to keep keep them there uh, nice things like the KOLL where you get money for borrows and things like that and now they've unveiled Kindle Unlimited mm-hmm. um, which is which is helpful to authors but I think personally for a lot of my books it's good to get them up on these other platforms there are what three or four other platforms yep, I, I didn't mention Kobo and I should have because yeah. they're becoming a little bit more significant yeah Kobo Bar, um, Nook iBooks uh, and Google. And iBooks, I think, is really going for it. I think it's a good idea to be with iBooks because I think they, you know, they have a lot of money and I think they're they're really going for the market share. Okay, now who Don't does Don't tell this? my publisher. <laughs> who does this for you? Because I'm assuming you're not going out and formatting each of your books in all of these different platforms and uploading them to the site. So someone else is probably doing that. Well, that would be my husband, Glenn. Okay. All right. That's, that's his part of, of this business, um, even as he's starting his own business. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, I just wouldn't know where to begin. Um, I, that is something – I have a brain that can do some things. I can write a book, but uh, my brain doesn't, doesn't go in that direction at all. So it's it's great that I have his help. We've had interns who have worked for us and, and put things together. Also, he uh, we had a wonderful intern who um, put some of our, who is in, in the process of putting up some of our books in Germany. Um, one of the things that, that did happen that was fortuitous was um, I sold the first two Laura Cardinal books through um, New American Library, they they did the deal um, with uh, uh, Blonde Valet in Germany. So we managed to get the rights back to those books, and we already had the translation. Oh. I mean, yeah, we had the German translation. <laughs> That's convenient. But, but then, <laughs> then we had to make sure that that that. It translated into what we had because, you know, every time you move something from one place to another, things can go all over the place. And and I have a little bit of rudimentary German, but not that much. And so uh, Glenn is is brilliant. He he went to the U of A. He, he, he graduated from there with a master's degree. And he went to the U of A um, and talked to the people in the German department. So we got one of the people, one of the one of the the uh, professors in the German department. We paid him to to uh, you know look over the uh, you know the the manuscript that we had and and make changes and make sure that it worked and, and it was really really good. And then we found a, a French person for my French book that had sold years and years and years ago to Gélu. So everything, everything does kind of come together because everything that we've done in the past can come back and be used, which is, is the wonderful thing about being an indie. Yes, and having the rights to your own books. Yes. <laughs> yes, and he started that uh, up in, uh, I think it was 2008 or two, yeah, um, he was, and Glenn was thinking ahead, and I said, oh, ebooks, that's never going to happen. 
<laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> what are you doing? I want to get with the big six. It was the big six then. Right. It's the big five now. Yep. Uh, Maybe the big four by the time this uh, comes out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You never know. You never know. And, you know, and I I tried and tried and tried and um, I would get in and get kicked out and get in and get kicked out. But, you know, along the the way, I had three books that were translated into other languages, you know, and I I managed and they all gave me my rights back without any question. Oh, sure. Take them. So that was good. So it it has been, I, I, I guess... It's been lucky, but but again, you know, people make their own luck. I think. Yeah, I've had a lot of help. I, my my own luck also includes being married to somebody who who can think ahead. So <laughs> so I really thought ahead there because that was like thirty five years ago. I, I I I did think ahead very well on that, finding the right guy to good strategic to, planning. Yes, who knew? Thomas and Mercer is a different kind of publisher. Um, what's what's particularly good about dealing with Thomas and Mercer? Oh boy, let me count the ways. I love them. I love them. They are wonderful. They have a different business model. They're in Seattle, I guess. You know, which is the home of some you know big big startups that are now huge companies, and they think about their authors as treasured employees and also partners and so if well here's here's what it was like when um when i was writing my little paperback books for the big six i would send the book in they would accept it an editor uh, my acquiring editor will say well could you change this scene a little bit and um and and maybe this scene over here maybe make it shorter and that was it and then eventually i would get a uh an email that would say um here's your title because i had a title but it wasn't good enough the marketing people had all decided what the title would be and so then they would. I would get another. Uh, I would get a, a a picture in the mail. You, I used to get flats. That's how long uh, some of this was. But I also uh, eventually got um, them sending me um, through email a picture of the cover. And this is your cover. This is your title. This is your cover. Now please leave us alone. Now I know in. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know on the higher levels they treat their author the the big authors or the medium authors um, maybe the hardcover authors I don't know they treat them uh, a little better than that but the, the the fact is that that acquiring editors are acquiring editors and they are editors but they also are 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 traffic people and they're dealing with you know this book and that book and they're all in a hierarchy and they're all in a different place in the catalog and even when I got a pretty good deal with them it started out pretty good but because well it's a long story but they send books out to bookstores and the bookstores if if say they sell they they send out six books to Barnes and Noble in one city, mm-hmm. and Barnes and Noble sells three of them. The other three go back to be pulped or be remaindered. And so the second, so the next book has a smaller print run. 
they only print enough for three books in each Barnes and Noble. And so it's a case of diminishing returns. And it's very hard to get over that hump. And many people have done it. There have been a lot of writers that started in paperback, uh, Harlan Coben, Robert Crace. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. one, uh, Laura Lippman, wonderful, wonderful authors who managed to make it over the hump, but it, it, it got harder and harder to do. And I just didn't make it. And so it really, so then you get cut. <laughs> so so it, it, was, it was kind of a revolving door for me. But when I got to Thomas and Mercer, they were very appreciative of me of the fact that I had written this book. They gave me a, a questionnaire that was a mile long asking me all sorts of stuff about the book, how I see it, you know, what, what type of book it is, how I see the, the front and back copy, what I, would like for the, what I would like for the cover. They treated me like a grown-up because I've been writing for 30-some-odd years and, and I've looked at the Robert Crace books, I've looked at the Laura Lippman books, I've seen these books and, and know what basically is going on at this particular time, what looks like a thriller cover, what looks like a mystery cover, what looks like a romance cover, what looks like a fantasy cover. I, you, I know all that stuff. And they respected us, I think, because a lot of us had done so well. And they got a lot of us who had done well as indies. And they knew what we could do. But that's what they do. They, they ask you what you think. Because they actually think that you might know what you're talking about, <laughs> and which is a, <laughs> a big radical difference. thinking. <laughs> yes, radical thinking. So when they so they'll someone will write some copy and then they say, well, you you fix it up for us. You know, what do you think? So, you know, we work together and I fix the copy or I say, oh, that's that's a little off the beam or whatever. But it's usually not because they they'll say, well, who, what kind of readers. Are that you know what age readers do you think you attract? What is your niche? They they went over everything. What kind of cover do you think would go for this kind of book? For instance, with uh, with the shop, they did a beautiful cover for the shop. It's mostly the big print, big font, tall font of um, the words the shop, and then my name um, toward the bottom. And there were palm trees on it, and palm trees sell books. By the way, yes, they do. And I'm I'm a person who, if I see a palm tree on a spine, I'll pull oh. it out and look at it. Yes, yeah. Everyone wants some happiness in their life, yes. and a palm tree is a good way to get it. So, so they did a really good job. It's almost like a batik kind of thing. It's it's very very beautiful cover, and so. That I really wanted to take control of everything. You know, I sent through my agent. I had this proposal. I wanted to write Cyril Landry, and and it extended to how I wanted them to do the next cover. And so I suggested the you know to have the print the same kind of print in the middle of the book, and my, my name in the same kind of print at the bottom, and a similar type of of uh, treatment for the book. Different colors, you know, and um, and some palm trees, and they did it, and they did a beautiful job, and and so that way you can see that the books are connected, that they are part of a series, and it's it's easy for the reader to to get that when you see the two books next to each other, you 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 can 
see the link right there. And they were just, they're just wonderful about that. They're just um, a completely different business model. Now, as a Thomas and Mercer author, how often do you get paid? Once a month. Okay, so it's not the wait six months or, or maybe oh. up to a year, and then you've got to wait for the books to come back and all of that. Or try to figure out the what the royalties are because it, it just dwindles away. You know, <laughs> just you're 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 looking for a royalty royalty statement, and often you don't get one, and it just dwindles away. Whatever you get up front, that's. That's probably what you're going to end yeah. up with. I mean, uh, this is the low level. Uh, the, the, the authors who are doing really well over there, I'm sure, are really, really happy and, and doing quite well. Thank you. But well, of course, and some of them are even willing to take out full-page ads in newspapers. Yes, yes, and good on them. Yes. Good, good on them, and they are savvy. They are smart. They're working in their platf- on their platform. Mm-hmm. And they're working it like uh, to the last nerve too. I mean, they're they're out there doing the things that they have to do, and they 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 either got in um, when it was easier, or they were just so super spectacular that that there you know, it was easy for them to get in, or they worked their way up. But um, they they've done a very good job, and and they'll continue to. And it's there's not that much difference between. Um, the the kind of person who who can do better, you know, people who want to do better or who try hard or work or work at it or work smart, hopefully, um, whether whether or not they're with um, the New York publishers or with or they're with uh, Amazon or or they're going out on their own. Now, everyone's situation is different, sometimes dramatically different, and it's it's in everyone's best interest to do what they can do to maximize the sales of their books, the to build a readership for their book, and for you it was one direction. And for them, it was a different direction. But it wh- whatever works, basically. And I think that's one of the great things about being a hybrid author. You can you can look at a book and and make a decision. What's the best way to publish this? Should I pitch this to Thomas and Mercer, or am I better off trying to run with this myself? Yes, I do want to keep Laura Cardinal because she is popular. She's a she's a police detective uh, in Arizona. She's with the Department of Public Safety as a detective. And so as um as a person who is with a state agency, she can go and troubleshoot crime scenes anywhere in the state. So I can move her around from place to place. If uh if there's a if there's a problem and they need help, then then she goes into another jurisdiction and it's also nice uh, writerly in a, in a writerly way because she'll always encounter some resistance <laughs> when she goes to one of these towns and has to deal with them. So I'm keeping Laura for myself. I have other. I have another female. Well, I have two other female cops. Uh, I love female cops, uh, and one of them is with Thomas and Mercer. That's Tess McRae. Mm-hmm. Actually, two. No, two of them are now with Thomas and Mercer. So they have two of my female cops, um, Jolie Burke and Tess McRae. There are a lot of great things about Thomas and Mercer. Uh, what are some things that aren't great? Boy, that's, that's really hard for me to say. I, to be honest, I, I can't say a word against them. I really can't. Well, let me, th- I, let me throw one out and, and tell okay. me whether you feel like this is a valid 
uh, not a criticism, but it's it's just something that's not available to you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see those Thomas and Mercer books in bookstores in in almost all cases. That's true. That's true, and um, that's a shame. But they have a different business model, and I understand that business model. And their business model is is mostly ebooks. And while I would love to to be in bookstores, that would be more to me a vanity kind of thing mm-hmm. than a real problem for me because I've never had really good luck with bookstores anyway. Uh, my my local mystery bookstore, Clues Unlimited, um, wonderful person who runs it, mm-hmm. uh, Christine, she she has my she'll stock my books and I can have a book signing there and uh, that's fine with me. But I'm very very happy with the way things are. Times are changing. I remember when Barnes and Noble and Borders killed or supposedly killed all the little bookstores throughout the country. Yes, I remember that too. And there was a, a famous movie about it. Um, yes. With, with Tom yes. Hanks, that, that <laughs> yeah. where we all cried at the loss of those independent bookstores and the evil Barnes and Noble, and and now we're we're crying at the uh, at the loss of evil Barnes and Noble, while the yeah, independent and, bookstores and, are coming back. Yes. Yeah. Guess what? The independent <laughs> bookstores are coming back because they do have certain things to offer you know a, a mystery bookstore who can who can bring in michael conley or lee child or uh, jay jance mm-hmm. my goodness they've got people lined around the block for that and people like to go in there and browse but it, so in a way independent bookstores hopefully are are coming back stronger than ever and why you know, you look at Barnes and Noble and and the troubles they're having, but already those books were going in um, at cut rate prices into Costco and yes. all sorts of places like that. You know, Target. Are there Targets anymore? Yes, there are. Okay, there aren't that there aren't that many <laughs> selling books anymore. I, I I will say that Costco still has that big book table or big book section in the middle, which is which is wonderful because I I like to just mm-hmm. go see all those books and. Yes, uh, I but I, I rarely buy a book at Costco anymore. Yeah, and I do buy hardcover books by certain authors because I write in them. I study what they do. I don't want to. I don't try to imitate their writing, but I try to understand what they're doing from a plot standpoint. Um, brilliant writers can teach me a lot. That's how I learned to be a good writer is I've had all these mentors and any and, and this is open to anybody who wants to improve as a writer is if is say my my genre is thriller and crime fiction. And so I've torn apart Michael Connolly's books, I've torn apart Robert Crace's books and Lee Child's the the Killing Floor. I went through like four times, and I wrote a thesis on it. <laughs> so, I I try to learn from these people because I can see the things that they're doing. And I go, wow, I wish I could do something like that. And I will learn stuff from them that that I put in my own little little diary. And for instance, I I, I learned simple stuff. 
from from wonderful authors like John Grisham once marked time in one of his books by the people that the, by the jury pool and how the jury pool was getting um, smaller and smaller and it was just a way that he 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 marked time I don't know if he did it consciously or not but it was something that that helped group things in in a reader's mind and keep things straight and and Lee Child does that as well and Harlan Coben did something that really changed the way I thought about writing because I started out in paperback and I fell in into a league with romance writers and so I always had and which and boy they're the best on the block those people really know how to sell books and they are good at what they do and many of those romance authors become big time thriller writers and I mean, they're starting to get their due now Yes, as, as they opposed are. to oh those romance oh, and writers making, now they're the ones making all the money <laughs> they are they absolutely are but one of the things that i maybe wrongly learned was that uh you have something happen and then you think about it and you worry about it and you and you you obsess over it and then then eventually something else happens but it's kind of piggybacks on that and what i got really clearly from one of the Harlan Coben books that I read. He had this man who whose sister, I think, I can't remember the exact story, but I think she was supposed to be dead. And then he finds out in this one chapter that she's alive. And I'm going, wow, that's that's something. So then I get to the next chapter does he is he obsessing over his do- his sister and where she might be? No, he's not. He's a lawyer. He's in a lawyer's office. There's something else going on. He's got this case going that was um, reminiscent of of some well known case, um, uh, bad boys gone wrong or something like that. And 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 the and he's got the all these characters in this lawyer's office, and it's it's just he just takes you know from one scene to another. He doesn't worry things to death and I was worrying things to death I kept saying oh you've got to think about this some more oh gosh I wish so and so still loved me or whatever or oh um, I want you know, well let me ask you let me ask you this because I do I do much the same thing but I do it after I've read the book and really loved it do you are you picking it apart like that while you're reading it or do you do it later hmm oh, I do it later uh, I, there are books I just I've reread The Killing Floor like three times. I've reread uh, Harlan Coben's Cod a couple of times. I've I've re- I've gone through Michael Connolly's The Last Coyote and The Concrete Blonde many many times. I'm not trying to pick up their writing style. I'm not trying to 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 imitate them in that way. I'm just trying to learn from what they can do. Uh, how they do things, how they keep that story going, how they keep that impetus and and, and moving forward. Yes, and sometimes it feels magical because there's not a cliffhanger at the end of each chapter, but really there is. It's just so subtle sometimes, and it just gets you to turn that page. Yes, yes. They know what they're doing. Maybe it's years and years of writing, 
but the and I've had and I do believe that if you have years and years of writing, that is very helpful because I've been writing for well since I was a kid, but I've been been published since 1990 when I started writing in 1986 as far as seriously trying to get published, and I really do think that the the more that's under your belt, the better you are. I think that's true for for most things. Maybe not when you're young in sports. <laughs> when you're really young and in good shape, that's probably the best thing in sports. But, but uh, I think that the more that you learn, the more you're exposed to, the more, more you work on story and, and try to improve. And for me, that's always been the biggest thing. Is, is to strive for the personal best. And I off, sometimes I'll make a big leap with the book and then I, then I backslide on the next couple of books and get into a morass. They're just not as good. And then I make another leap and, and I, can, I, can, I can go back through my books and I can say, that's, that's where I changed. And this is where I've changed. And, and for me, the, the um, first book of the Laura Cardinal series, Darkness on the Edge of T- Town, I I did a lot of studying and worked really hard. I spent about six months trying to learn more about fiction and and how to write this book and how to please myself first and nobody else um, to write that book. And then uh, then the other books, I guess, were pretty good too. But but that was my break breakthrough book. And then then uh, then I wanted to write something really big with the shop, and I really wanted that thing to 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 be something where I would make a big leap. A big thriller because I'd never written a big thriller, and and I feel that, and then I and I, and the other books are good. I'm getting on that level, I think. So I I feel that Hard Return is my is is a huge step up for me. So this is, in your opinion, this is your best book. Yes. And I I've, I haven't read all of your books, but I've read a few, and I I would agree with you. I, Hard Return is, is exceptional. I really really enjoyed it. I, I I hope it does really well. I, I certainly think it will. <laughs> and you've got you've got the muscle of the biggest they bookseller the in the world behind you. Yes, <laughs> it's like the guy with the razor blades. They own the company. It's it, it's going to do well. It's just how well it's going to do. <laughs> well, let's let's finish up with uh, a little bit on marketing. You mm-hmm. you have a, a a very good Facebook presence, and you're on Facebook every day. You de- you you almost never are doing overt marketing, but there's a message there from time to time that that you have something to do. You've also just relaunched your website within the last few days, and and it was a pretty good website before, but now it's it's really good. Yes. And I noticed that you're teasing people to sign up for your email list by offering. Uh, a book you mentioned earlier in the interview that, uh, or uh, a little short story with Cyril Landry, called the Blue Light the Special. Blue Light Special. If you sign up for your email list, you get a copy of that free. And I read that because you told me it had Cyril Landry in it, and I really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> and thank you for that. I was I had written a note. Remember to tell them about this. And the website's beautiful. Well, I looked at the website today, and I thought, oh, my God, she redid her website. So then I went to your Facebook page, and I saw that you had just redone it uh, over the course of the last couple of days. Not yes. that it, it only took two days to do it, because it obviously took uh, whoever did it. And please give them a plug. I can't yes. remember their name. Michael Lounds. M-I, well, Michael. And uh, um, L-O-W-N-D-E-S. Um, he's a fanta- he has a fantastic crew there. They know exactly what they're doing. It's, it's, a beautiful, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful site, but there's also stuff underneath that, um, that is very helpful 
um, to to get more people to come to the to the website um, that we don't even see. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. The, I don't know what it is, SE, but I know SEO it's back there stuff, somewhere. But yes, and it's it's very <laughs> and this gets back to the point that we made earlier today, where you're not one of those people who feels like they need to know everything and be involved in everything, but you've surrounded yourself with a really good team. And when you need your website redesigned, you go out and find somebody that's really good to do it. Yes. Yeah. I guess I do make my own luck. I'm very happy that, that, uh, you know, that, that there are so many wonderful people and, and really as an indie author, you need a good copy editor. I've had some, some really good cover artists. Um, first of all, my husband, Glenn McCready, he and I did most of our, our Laura Cardinal covers. Uh, but I, but also Keelan Patrick Burke who did Cry Wolf and, uh, Christine DeMaio Rice, who did Roadside Attraction, and, and that even... Oh, that was uh, an amazing cover. Yes, and even the people at Amazon said, we really like this cover, and I, they, I think they were going to use it for some kind of promotion or something. I don't know if they ever did, but they they really love that cover. She just... I said, I want something kitschy and that looks like Tombstone and has weird stuff in it, and she went to town. No, that, that was a beautiful, beautiful cover. Well, yeah. the book we've been talking about is Hard Return. It's it's coming out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on, uh, I'm I'm totally whiffing on these dates. We're so far ahead of time. September 9th. <laughs> it's coming out. It's coming out on September 9th. We're recording this on August 27th. It's going to be it's going to be a big book. So get your copy and uh, enjoy it. Jay Carson Black, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Steve, so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode. 